السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والأرحام إن الله كان عليكم رقيبا صدق الله العظيم We begin in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we continue from last month's lecture about family life in Islam and we had, just to give you a brief uh, run-up of what we did last month uh, we started to discuss first on the issues of a hukuma about an Islamic government and we're looking into the parts where the Islamic government would have rules based on the Quran and Sunnah and how that would operate with the public, the general public, what the general rules are, and then to extrapolate that and to move it and take it on towards the family. Because the idea of this is that every family is a khilafa system or a governing system on its own. So we have the general large khilafa under which we have individual houses where you have small, small khilafas in every single house where the man will be in charge of the house and he has his wife and he has his children and all the rest to, to look after. So the, the same rules that will apply to the government, many of those rules will apply in the house as well. And then of course we have the individual um, khilafa, which is when a person has got his own inside, he's got his nafs, he's got his soul, he's got his habits, he's got his culture around him and all of that to work against and to try and strive to get his body, his heart, his soul, his self to be on the proper uh, understand, proper pathway of Islam. So we have different, different struggles. We're talking about family life in Islam and we managed to reach uh, one section of uh, looking at these rights. And we reached the rights of indig- individual freedom. The next one we're going to move on to is the is the right of being nurtured, the right to actually be nurtured or the right to actually have uh, some system where people will be looked after. Because every, every individual and every insan, every man that has been created in this, on this earth has got the will to do good and has got the will to do evil. And if there is no control over man, then no matter how clever man is, no matter how intelligent he is, uh, no matter how much wisdom he might have, but there are certain circumstances where man can actually go astray. And the government is there, the Islamic government is normally there to make sure that individuals don't move out of the Surat al-Mustaqim or the straight path. Because once people move out of the Surat al-Mustaqim, once people move out of the straight path, then they can cause harm to themselves and harm to other humans. And that's why we have a system, a government system. The same we have in the family as well. In a family, there can be children who can, who can move out of the Surat Muslim, out of the straight path and be deluded or to go astray. There can be the wife who can go astray, there can be the husband who can go astray, there can be brothers and sisters who can go astray and we need to have a system within the family that will keep them within this, these barriers. 
We have two 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 ayahs of the Holy Quran which show two, two which which tell us not to go to two different extremes. Now we know that we need to have a family, we need to have children that will be on the straight path, that will be uh, proper Muslims, and we need to have a wife and a husband, not to say that the husband is, or the father is exempted from this, all of them on the straight path. But in doing so, sometimes what parents might do, not that all parents do do this, and sometimes what husbands might do, or big brothers or big sisters might do, is that they might enforce Islam onto the children or force uh, or compel someone to to lead their lives according to Islam. Okay? The Quran on the one hand says La ikraha fiddin. There's no compulsion compulsion in this religion. So on the one hand, Quran says that. On the other hand, you have the Quran saying Ta'awanu ala al-birri wa taqwa. Help one another strive with one another, help one another to achieve and to gain uh, goodness, good things and taqwa, God consciousness. وَلَا تَعَاوَنُوا عَلَى الْإِثْنِ وَالْعُدْوَانِ And don't help one another in sinning and don't help one another in going beyond the barriers or to cause injustice to one another. Okay, so we have two, two uh, ayahs. One ayah says, tell people to do good. The other ayah says, don't compel them and don't force them to do, uh, force them in the matters of this religion. What we need to do now is to balance between these two and the best person uh, who we will all find and who will be the best person until the day of judgment is the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. On the one hand, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, لَنْ يَضْرِبَ خِيَارُكُمْ the best amongst you will not hit. He, does, he says that on the one side. On the other side, the Prophet ﷺ says, uh, this, this um, hadith is in Ahmad, and there's another hadith in Ahmad, uh, where the Prophet ﷺ says, لَا تَرْفَعْ عَنْهُمْ عَصَاكَ أَدَبًا Don't completely remove your stick, so that you can discipline them by means of having the stick around. Okay? What this shows is that the Prophet is encouraging us, as people in authority, not to use the stick. At the same time, the Prophet is saying not to remove the stick. Because there are dangers in removing the stick totally, which we can see now in many of the schools in this country. In the state schools where you have a big problem of children disobeying teachers, where you have children even to the extent of swearing, taunting, throwing things at teachers, being suspended, not even that, expelled from from uh, uh, school and so on. And this is happening on a large scale in the United Kingdom. And if you look at the uh, at the history of schools before 1960, you will find that uh, because they had the stick there, though there was some abuse, and I'm going to come to that later on, though there was some abuse, which was wrong, but by having the stick implemented there, you had a lot more discipline. But post-1960, later on after that, you now find that uh, because the stick is not there, there's too much freedom or too much... that people have become too loose, especially children in these schools have become too loose. And now the government, I think, because the laws of this country and the laws of the West are, are based on the thoughts of man, because man develops these laws, that's why you find flaws in the law. That's why you find that the law cannot really 
uh, is not sufficient for the people of the land or sufficient for the general public. Whereas the laws of Islam are from Allah Himself, who has created humans, who know how, who knows how humans will work, who knows how their minds work, who knows in what direction they will go in. So therefore, His His Messenger, sallallahu alaihi has given these two rules. Now, on the one hand, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi says, for instance, in and there's, there's a difficult. Uh, there, there are many ayahs in the Qur'an, maybe hopefully in the future we might have a series of lectures where we might focus on the parts where the Orientalists look at the Qur'an and say, well, your Qur'an has this mistake and your Qur'an has that mistake and your Qur'an says this, how can your Qur'an be a, uh, a part of divine law? There's one uh, particular part of the Holy Qur'an in Surah An-Nisa, which is the fourth Surah of the Holy Qur'an, verse number 34 where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives various stages of disciplining one's wife and in there Allah says وَطْرِبُوهُنَّ one of the stages is to use dharm I will go into detail later on but just to say that the dharm or the word dharm which has been translated by many people many um, interpreters into hitting that you may hit them it does not mean it does not necessarily have to carry the meaning of hitting because the word dharm in the Arabic language is so universal that it has up to 18 different meanings okay, there's 18 different meanings for that word dar. Dar can also mean force which the Prophet ﷺ showed in his own life when I told you like for instance last month I told you when the Prophet ﷺ moved for one month or 29 days he moved away from his wives because he was angry with them he used dar, which was not to hit them but he used a means of trying to get them to understand by some form of force, forcing meaning, not forcing them in a bad way, but forcing them to show that, look, this is my general love that I show you, and this is the love you get from me. Now in you not pleasing me, I will deprive you of your love. And that, is, that was enough for the Prophet ﷺ to control his wives. The Sahabas, or the, the, the people in the Jahiliya times, they had the trace of what we have today from the Indian subcontinent, we also have from some certain Arab countries, is when we, when fathers or when elders get angry, they tend to use the stick and they tend to use it violently in some, some families and some areas. Now the, now the Prophet was dealing with the Sahabas who just came out of Jahiliyyah. They just came out of Jahiliyyah. And the Prophet was giving them advice not to go ahead and use the stick. Okay, where he says, يَضْرِبَ خِيَارٍ He would say that the best amongst you will not hit. And another hadith the Prophet ﷺ would say, خِيَارُكُمْ خِيَارُكُمْ لِنِسَائِهِمْ The best of you is the best, who, best, who, who are the best to their wives. And I am, I am the best to my wives. Okay, and the Prophet ﷺ would encourage not to use. And then if, if he knew that some sahabas, they had, you know, like in a hadith, uh, there's actually one hadith where the Prophet mentioned, I'll come to this hadith later on, where the Prophet says, Abu Jahm fala asahu min atiqi. The Prophet had one woman come to him and she, she, she said, Two people have proposed to me, um, which one do I accept? And the Prophet then said about one of them, I'll come to the entire hadith later on, he said, Abu, Abu Jahm, one of them which you've told me about, la yada'u asahu min he doesn't take the stick down he carries with him from his shoulders. He doesn't put it down from his shoulders. Meaning, he's trying to indicate that he's, he's a man who beats his wife up. 
He's a man who beats people, so therefore I'd advise you, indicate to her, don't take him. So he was dealing with these Sahabas, he was dealing with these people, so he advised them not to do this, not to hit, not to strike. At the same time he said, La tarfa, don't remove the stick because you won't have any discipline left. Because they, they will not have anything to fear for. Again I need to stress that Islam is something which will try and keep things in the middle by pushing against uh, like what the example I gave you last month was about trying to have ventilation inside the, the room whereas you, ha- you try and keep the heat inside the room at the same time you try and get ventilation inside the room now going back to what I said about uh, the, the schools and I, I, and I said about the ayahs where Allah says ta'awanu ala al-birri wa taqwa every person who is in authority needs to understand this and it's not easy just to understand it, it, one needs to change their habits and their, and their nature and it's the, the hardest thing for a person to change the hardest thing for a person to change is their nature and unfortunately as people grow older okay, unfortunately as people grow older the, the older you get the more rigid your habits become the older you become the more stronger and, and the more stability you have in life and if for instance a person in his youth the youth when a person is in his young age uh, you're like soft clay okay water that's just being mixed okay to form clay but the clay hasn't hadn't hasn't hardened yet okay and the best time to to invest in a child is in young age and when I say young age I mean very young age I don't mean when the child has reached 16 and finally he's got time to spend or you've got time to spend with the child or when the child has reached an old age that's not because as children are growing they are making they're making their minds up okay they're making the minds up of okay this is right and this is wrong to be angry for this reason is right to show hostility for this reason is right to be forceful for this reason is right. For instance, if you use force for your children and you hit them or you push them or you do something hostile towards them or you, you show some form of aggression, then what you've implanted in the child's mind, though you've managed to get your goal, your goal was to get your child to be in line, to, to listen to you, to obey you. So your child obeys you. But your child has obeyed you on the basis because he is now scared of the consequences. He is fearful of what you might do further to him. Or she is fearful of what, you, what you're going to do. So therefore they will accept and they will obey you for a temporary time because they fear the greater consequences of what you might do if you were to become more angry. But that does not mean that the child has now listened to you, obeyed you and forgotten about the, about the force that you've used in the child. Because now this child has got that in his head or her head and when they grow up they're, they're going to think to themselves that this is the way to use this okay? when someone gets you angry use force when someone gets on the wrong side of you you, use, you strike at them when someone, you know, and as they grow older they will have a family and the, and the worst thing we can do is to have another generation coming up where we teach them that this is the way to do things Another extreme in this, on this, uh, in this land is that you have too much, too much freedom or you, you, say, you give everything to the child or when the child sulks, you listen to the child, you give in to the child at a very young age, okay? Now, it gets worse. If, if a child is four years old 
or three years old and they sulk I mean by sulking or by moaning they manage to get what they want and you carry on doing that then by the time they get to seven or eight in certain areas of their life they will use it and in other areas they will not use it for instance when they go to school they might see that oh this this teacher is is um, soft so therefore we can sulk or we can start you know making excuses and therefore getting our our ways or this person in authority later on in their life they will use the same habits so the habits will change from a childish sulk and a childish moan to a more of an adult moan okay it will change but what will happen is that if somebody does not try and uh, change this uh, and eliminate this from a young age you will find that it will grow and it will grow stronger and by the time they've reached a certain age okay the age of for instance 12 13 14 okay this age where a person islamically moves to adulthood islamically adulthood starts from this age okay 12 13 14 depending on different children okay there are, there are many developments that, that take on in that, at that time and I will go into detail later on but just to say that by that time it's too late because the clay has become too hard and for, for you to change things okay it's still maybe you could you can still change certain things it's, it's not completely brittle and it's not hard yet but when they reach 40 50 in their lives forget it you know you have adults in this mosque or outside this mosque who are too rigid you can't deal with them you tell them something especially if they're in authority and you try and, try and change their habits it's, it's really difficult too hard okay so the Prophet was dealing with these Sahabas who had had habits from the Jahiliyyah days now for him to change it would be a difficult thing some Sahabas they managed to just switch the, the, their habits to a different way for instance they, ha- they had a, a habit of staying awake all night and just gossiping and the Prophet ﷺ would tell them again again don't, don't stay around sitting around uh, talking about you know, gossiping around in the night time it's not good because the Prophet was trying to advise them that in the morning you might wake up late okay? so the Sahaba just changed switched that totally by not gossiping after Isha they would use their time for, for Salah Okay? So to t- change a habit is hard, but to switch the side of the, or the direction of the habit is easy. That's probably the first step. And then later on you can get them to change the habit. Now to, with children and especially with, with a grown-up woman. Because when you are married, you have married an adult. You have not married a child. And you have not married someone who is less than you in anything except for the fact that Allah has made you a person who is in charge of this, this other person. Okay? In intelligence or in anything else, uh, you know, women can be as equal to as men. In rights, definitely. The Quran says, uh, Conventionally, the women will have rights just as they have to give others their rights, they will have rights as well. Um, so, Habits are, are things which are hard to change, but people can change them over time. Some, some people it takes up to about five years to change their habits, some people two, three years, three years, some less than that, okay? But habits can change, okay? And normally what happens is when you're married to a person, some of her habits will change and some of your habits will change. When you have children, because they are, when you have a child, that child is not a replicate of you, of you a replica of you. That child is a, an individual with individual an individual mind though that child is two years old three years old the child will be given by Allah certain habits which you didn't have as a father 
I know, I know genes, genes are then, you know, hereditary, they, they are passed from one uh, generation to another generation. But your child will have some of your habits through your genes. Your ch- child will have some habits through your wife's genes. Your child will also be given certain things by Allah or certain habits as a test. By Allah, neither you had, neither your wife had, maybe your great granddad had. It might be somewhere in the genes. It might not be in the genes. It might not be at all in the genes. Okay? Now you're dealing with a child, you have a hyperactive child, and you wonder, when I was small, I wasn't hyperactive. Neither was my wife hyperactive. How did this child become hyperactive? What you've got to understand is that Allah put that in that child. Why? Because Allah says in the Holy Quran, وَجَعَلْنَا بَعْضَكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ فِتْنَةً We have made some of you a test for others. That's what Allah is saying. Okay? So when you have your wife, you didn't see her habits, or when you have a husband, and you didn't see his habits, uh, before marriage, you, you sat with each other with a mahram in front of one another, but you didn't see certain habits, and now that you're together, maybe there's... Yeah, there's a reason why Allah gave you this wife. Maybe there's a reason why Allah gave you this husband. And maybe there's a reason why Allah gave you this particular child. Because Allah wants to test you. Will you now change your habits for the better of your family? Will you now choose the best of methods from the Quran and from the Sunnah to change the habits of your child? Or will you destroy this child? Will you force this child to do certain things? And will you then traumatize this child? Or will you traumatize your wife or something else? Or will you go to exchange with your husband that your husband will just say, that's it, I've had enough, I I can't carry on with this family anymore. Um, Just one other thing I need to, a couple of other things I need to add to this. uh, let's just move on to the to, to the next one, where there's uh, the, again uh, with the Islamic government, the right is the right of justice. That when when there is someone who has been caught in any act in a crime, then there, there is a right of justice. Okay, firstly there needs to be investigation. Okay, uh, Islam believes, and the Quran says, "Fatabayyanu," investigate. فَتَبَيَّنَ أَن تُصِيبُوا قَوْمًا بِجَهَالَةٍ فَتُصْبِحُوا عَلَى مَا فَعَلْتُمْ نَادِمِينَ This is Surah Al-Hujrat, which is the fourth nine surah. Always investigate, because you could afflict a nation without realizing, and then after that you will then regret what you've done. Okay? That's on a governmental level. That it could happen. So there needs to be investigation. Then, there needs to be justice with the people who have done whether the person who has now seen the crime who is in charge of of, of authorizing uh, something uh, like a judge or someone uh, there needs to be justice and the same is in a family okay in a family if a child has done something wrong if a wife has done something wrong even if the adult like a, a, a father or someone has done something wrong or a child the Quran says كُونُوا قَوَّامِينَ بِالْقِسْطِ uh, ولو على شهداء ولو على this is in chapter number 4 verse number 135 so that you can act as witnesses on behalf of Allah even if this witness will go against yourself, your own self, 
awil walidayni or against your parents wal aqrabin or against those who are closely related to you like close relatives families or friends in yakun ghaniyan aw faqiran fallahu awla bihima whether that person is rich who you're witnessing for and because of which you want to do injustice or whether that person is poor and you have pity on them fallahu awla bihima allah is more is more deserving that you show justice for the sake of Allah, and Allah is more greater than these, these two. فَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا الْحَوَىٰ أَنْ تَعْدِلُوا Don't follow your own desires, lest you do not do justice. وَإِنْ تَلْوُوا أَوْ تُعْرِدُوا If you turn away from this, if you don't, if you don't listen, uh, or if, if you don't accept this, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ خَبِيرًا Then Allah surely knows of the actions that you are doing. He is well aware of the actions that you are doing. Here, clearly Allah says, when there is a problem, then you need to be just. Okay, a lot of the times because people are together, like for instance you might have in a family, the parents might have already assumed that this child is a troublemaker. So they will not go into the depths of investigating. Even if they go into the depths of investigating, they will not do justice. For instance, they might punish one child more than it deserves, that the child deserves, or meaning that they might still punish someone though they are, they are innocent. The same could happen with brothers and sisters, where one might witness wrongly, one might witness because he favours this brother, he doesn't like the other brother, or likes this sister, doesn't like that sister or that brother, and because of that you have people or you have family members not doing justice. Now the, now the shahada or the witness you give should be shuhada alillahi, you are standing a witness for Allah. You're not standing a witness because they are... Why they, they are asking for a witness? Because the Sharia says when there is no one else who, with whom we can verify this. And obviously we can't now talk to Allah and say, Oh Allah, who did it? Allah has made a system where if there is a witness and you ask the witness. These people should stand for the sake of Allah. So you, you don't stand for yourself. But then the Quran says even if it goes against yourself, be, be honest. Stand up. Just say, I did it. Okay? The best thing you can do is to say, I did it. Because... Allah has got, even Allah Himself, in a lot of ahadith, you will find that when a person owns up to what they've done, Allah Himself has raham, He has mercy. When a perpetrator, when a criminal tries to lie, tries to get out, tries to use false evidence, tries to get false witnesses, you find that the person who is in authority gets more tough, Okay? And then because of the time that has been involved, because of the lies that have come in between, because of uh, all of that, the person who is in authority sometimes can, can really enforce what he needs to by justice. Okay? Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just. Okay? If he went according to his justice, we'd all end up in hellfire and we'd all be punished. But Allah on the Day of Judgment will not go according to all of justice because He will prefer to use Raham. He will prefer to use mercy over justice. According to justice, the, the sins we have all committed, we, need, we deserve to be burned in hellfire. But according to Allah's mercy, many of us will be let off, many of us will go end up in heaven, many of us Allah will just, just, just forgive out of nothing. There's a hadith in Bukhari where there's a man, okay, it's a, it's a famous hadith where, where there's, a, there's a man who has committed crimes all throughout his life. 
And on his deathbed, he calls his sons to his side, and he says to, to he has four sons, and he says to one son, "Ida anamitu fa'ahadikuni." He says that when I die, then I want you sons to cremate my body, okay, to burn me. And then he says to the first son, he says, uh, "You, O oh my son, take my ashes to the river or to the sea, to the ocean, and just drop them in there." Says to the second son, "You take my ashes and throw and bury them into the ground." Says to the fourth one, "Take my ashes and scatter them through the, in, in the wind so that they blow into the corners of the world." Says to the fourth one, "You take my ashes and put them onto under the mountain." And then he says, "The reason why I'm telling you, O my sons, to do this is that laqad khiftu." He said, "I fear that if I go back to my Lord and my Lord will take me to account, then the sins that I've committed in my life, I, I, I will be punished." Uh, in such a way that no one else has been punished. Now, when they had carried out the orders of the father, and Allah then said to the wind, said to the mountains, said to the earth, said to the seas, Ya Ya Jabal, Adi ilayya ma akhasi, Ya Ya Ayyatul Abd, Adi ilayya ma akhasi. Allah said, O oh earth, bring me back what you've taken. O oh mountain, bring me back what you've taken. And then, within no time at all, this man was then erected again in front of Allah, in front of Allah the Almighty Lord. Allah then asked this man, he says, Ya, ya, ya ibn Adam, he said, O son of Adam, what made you do that? And then the only answer this man has in front of Allah, with all the humility, with all the shame and all the guilt that this person has, he says to Allah, he says, Khashyataka ya Rabbi. The only reason why I did this, O oh Allah, is the fear that I have of you, of what you might do to me. Then Allah says to this man who has committed crimes all his life, but because of the guilt he has, and he's sincerely shown this guilt, Allah says, لَقَدْ خَفَرْتُ لَكَ I've just forgiven you. If it's for my, for my fear that you do this, I forgive you. This is the same thing that happens when we do certain things we're not supposed to do, and then it doesn't matter whether you're a child or you're adult, when you come in front of authority and you show guilt and you show remorse, then with a father or someone, they will, they will have rahm. Allah will put rahm in their heart. Allah does this Himself, and Allah is the one who will put mercy into the hearts of your father, into the hearts of your husband, into the hearts of the person in authority, and you will find this a different scenario. Because how long can they then tell you, why did you do this, why did you do that? And Allah says in the Holy Quran, once a person has acknowledged their sin and their crime, Allah says about, especially about regarding women, uh, when you when you try and uh, admonish them or try and put them back onto the straight path, Allah says, "Fa'in ata'nakum fala tabghu alayhinna sabila." When the women once they obey you, don't now taunt them for something they've done in the past. The same with a child. If a child or someone you've taken to account. And they've managed to change themselves. The Quran says, leave them alone. Their past is the past. You have to understand to forgive and to forget. You shouldn't forgive. Okay, now you, you, you've, uh, you've got a child or you've got someone in front of you and you say to them, that's fine, what you've done. Okay, but in the future you say, remember what you did? Remember this? And you told them that this will really, really cut back no, open, it will open wounds again. And those wounds you will open for a second time won't be healed for a very long time. 
when someone has done something, don't point them, don't, you know, don't take them to account for something you've already forgiven. And you said, this is it, you've been punished, or you've gone through this, or forgiveness, that's it. We say with women and children or anyone else, you're trying to uh, do this. And the one thing I have to say is that لا يقضي القاضي وهو غضبان. The Prophet says in the hadith of uh, Abu Dawood, he says, the judge should not pass a judgment while he's angry. While he's still angry, no judge has the right to pass a judgment. From this we understand okay, that even, like for instance, something has happened suddenly. The first thing a person in authority, whether it's a father, husband, or anyone else, or just a mother alone, or someone else, the first thing the person needs to do is is to verify that they are not angry. Because when a person is angry, they have emotions involved, and they might then pass a judgment which will not be of justice. So the Prophet's first first, uh, command is, calm down. Let the situation calm down. Let the people calm down. And especially the person who is going to pass a judgment needs to be calm while he is passing the judgment. A lot of the times uh, you have people who are angry and later on they regret what they've done. Later on they, they said something to their child or to their wife which they shouldn't have said. Or which they said in that, moment, in that moment thinking that this is all right. But later on they look back and they think it would have been better for me to have waited or better for me to have not passed that judgment and not said those words. Not have said those words. The last thing I will say regarding this right is that the punishment, any punishment should fit the crime. Whenever there is a punishment that does not fit the crime, that is more than the crime itself, then there are repercussions. You will find that a child might rebel against it. A wife or anyone else, or let's say uh, any person whom you pass judgment on, they will rebel against what you've done. And, and they will not... The, the worst can happen, the worst thing that can happen is when a child or a wife or anyone else in the family when they've gone through an incident you've done something as a means of punishment or something and they've not favoured it, they've not completely understood it or they've understood it but they thought it was not fair and they hate you for it they hate you for it this is, I mean I, I find a lot of parents do come to me and over the past years, a lot of parents have come to me and they've complained to me about their children. Um, and they've said, look, my child doesn't listen to me, or my child doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to know what I say, or he doesn't want to talk to me, or I find that there's, there's a bitter feeling, a bitter relation between the child. And I try my best to get the child to listen to me. And when I call the child and I have a meeting separately or in front of the father, what normally comes up is, is bitter feelings because of unfairness. Because the father in the first place hasn't been fair. Fair in, for instance, in his rights over the children. Of spending money, or giving him his rights, looking after him, or not to force certain things, not to beat him up, or things like that. Whenever that happens, and a child has made his mind up that I don't, I don't like my father, it's very hard to then readjust, and then to mould, and to bring these together. It's very, very hard. Even for an imam, a person who is... You know, the best the imam can do is to talk to the child separately and say, look, these are your rights, this is what Allah says, best thing for you is to obey your parents, to be kind to them, not to show injustice towards, not to be cruel to them, and so on. Because you will then suffer in the, in the next life. The best thing the imam can do is that. But the fact still remains that every time the child will come in front of the father, he will have these bitter feelings of wounds from the past. And, and if he gets to that stage, please try and avoid that stage from, for, from, for anyone to get to that stage. But if it happens, straight away put your head down and just forgive and forget. It needs to be a two-way thing, both from the first people in authority and the people who are under authority.
Um, the next one I want to move on to is of equality of all human beings. We have all been created from Adam alayhi salam as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa has said in his, one of his last khutbas. And if you look at the Prophet sallallahu last khutbas, the, the later his khutbah in his life, the more applicable it is to this ummah as a general rule. What I mean by this is, if you look at the last words the Prophet sallallahu has used, um, when he was on his deathbed, when he was, when his head was on the thigh of Aisha, or the thigh of, uh, thigh of Aisha radiallahu anha. And Aisha radiallahu anha then did the siwak, or uh, took the siwak, and she, she then brushed the teeth of the Prophet sallallahu The very last words before he said, Allahumma ila, ila rafiq al-a'la. Said, oh Allah, to the best of all, to the highest of all friends, meaning Allah. He, 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 he said these words and he left the world. Um, just before that, when he came, when he gained conscious again, he said, As-salat, as-salat. Meaning, my ummah, observe and stay steadfast on your prayers, on your prayers. Why did the Prophet, and the, this is the last thing the Prophet said, and you will find that the first thing, this ummah, and that there's a hadith about this, where the Prophet says, he says, أَوَّلُ شَيْءٍ يُرْفَعُ مِنْ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ Prophet says that the first thing that will be removed and uplifted from this ummah will be their devotion in their prayers, which will be lifted. And you can see the Prophet again stressed on the salah. And that was one of the first, first places where the shaitan managed to uh, put his hands into. Another thing which the Prophet was, was saying is about political affairs. You find that political affairs became the first, or one of the first things which then divided this ummah. And one of the greatest khutbas the Prophet gave, gave, and the last khutbas he gave was on Mount Arafah. And you have copies of this um, distributed all around. Looking into that last khutbah of the Prophet in his only one and only and last hajj, he talks about women. He says about women, about their rights. He talks about differences of tribal differences. He talks about racism. And he says, Kullukum min Adam wa Adam min Turab. All of you are from Adam alayhi salam. And Adam alayhi salam was made from the dust. He was made from the soil. He was made from the ground. Meaning that the ground is something which is down, is trodden over, and therefore you are from there. You should remember your essence of where you come from. And he said, La fadlil ajami ala al-arabi wa al-arabi ala al-ajami. No Arab has any superiority over uh, 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 no Arab over non-Arab, no non-Arab over an Arab. He says, Lal Ahmar Alal Aswad, no person with a, a red skin, okay, or a white skin has any super, uh, superior position over a person with black skin, okay, or dark skin, and no person with dark skin has any superior, uh, okay, authority over one who has light skin. Illa bi taqwa except with God consciousness. This is the only thing that you should be superior over one another. Because a person of taqwa, when he, he will not, he, he himself will not feel his superiority to somebody else. One with taqwa. He will say, no, I'm the one who is the lowest of all. I deserve the lowest position. I should serve others and not expect others to serve me, and so on. So you have this in, in the government position. Now, in the um, family unit, Allah says, إِنَّمَا أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَأَوْلَادُكُمْ فِتْنَةٌ In one part of the Holy Qur'an, in Surah uh, At-Taghabun, which is the 64th Surah of the Holy Qur'an. Allah says that your children and your wealth are a means of a test for you. Fitna. Fitna 
no, I'm not talking about the Urdu fitna. In Urdu fitna means uh, something bad. It means uh, something like a tribulation that has that is out of control or is, is hard to control. Okay, uh, fitna in Arabic means a means of a test. It can be in a good way and it can be in a bad way because in another part of the Holy Quran, in the 17th juz, um, in the 23rd surah and verse number 25, Allah says, وَنَبْلُوكُمْ بِالشَّرْ وَالْخَيْرِ fitna." Allah says, we will test you with good and evil. Both of these we will test you. Both of these will make a means of a test. Sometimes Allah can give you good. He'll give you intelligence. But that's fitna for you. It's a test for you. Because Allah wants to see how you use it. Whether you use it in the right way or whether you use it in the wrong way. Sometimes Allah will give you mal. He'll give you wealth. That is again a fitna. It's a means of a test. Allah wants to see how you use it. Sometimes Allah will give you a parent. He'll give you family. He'll give you people with you. And Allah then again wants to test you. What will you do? Will you use it in the right or wrong way? Again, Amwalukum wa awladukum, your family or your children and another ayah I need to quote to you um, in the 28th part um, again Surah Taqabun which is the 64th Surah of the Holy Quran uh, 14th ayah Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, O you who believe Inna min azwajikum Some of your partners, not, ev- not every family some of your partners, and it, azwaj does not mean just your wives. The wrong interpretation in some certain tafsirs, when they interpret this ayah by saying azwaj is your wife. Azwaj means mates. Azwaj means, uh, means, means partners. Inna min azwajikum. Some of your partners. Wa'awladikum. Some of your children. Adu wallakum. Will be your enemies. So be cautious. The best way out, if you end up in this situation, the best way out is to means to forgive. And to turn away. And to forgive from the depths of your heart. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is most forgiving. Why Allah says that there can be an enemy to you is that sometimes Unfortunately, sometimes you try your best in controlling a situation and controlling your family and it just doesn't work. You can try the best of ways. There are certain families which I've had to deal with myself where someone in the family will just not budge. He will not, she will or he will not listen to anyone or will not want to listen to anything. Or there can be other situations where eventually someone becomes an enemy of yours, an adu, or someone who's against you, or someone who's always a barrier in front of you. But in those times, this is the highest and the most difficult fitna or tribulation that Allah can put someone in. But again, it's a test. Allah wants to see what you will do. Allah, doesn't, Allah never puts a person in a position they will not be able to bear. Allah says in the Holy Quran, لا يكلف الله نفساً إلا وصحا. No soul will be burdened with more than what it can take. So whatever situation you're in, you've got a horrible, in your eyes, okay, I'm not saying it, it is true, but you've got a horrible person in your family, who you have to live with and you can't get on with. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put you in a test. And again, like I said, it can be good or bad thing. Khair and shab, evil or good, Allah can put you in a, in a fitna or in a, in a trial with this. 
So what I want to say with this equality of humans is, this right is, in a family everyone is equal and they need to be treated with equality. Whenever you find someone feeling that they are superior to somebody else in the family, that will cause great uh, it could cause a disaster in the family where a, a father feels that he is he has got his own throne he's a king in the house he doesn't want to listen to anyone it will cause a problem a big problem in the house where the wife might have bitter feelings resentments and then that, those will fester or the children will not get on with the father or the woman is like this she has her own ways she wants to do what she wants she doesn't want to cooperate with the, with the father and the children or the child has that Okay? It will cause, it will have effects and cause ripples within the family. Moving on from there, uh, the, the, the right to cooperate and not to cooperate. What I mean by this is, in a governmental position, sometimes there are certain laws that are not absolutely, they are not a must. And sometimes what might happen is that you might have certain uh, things inside the Ummah uh, or inside the country that have started and the people should have a right whether they want to join or they don't want to join. Um, the Quran again says Help one another in good things, help one another in taqwa, in God consciousness and don't help one another in sinning and in oppression. Okay? The same thing in a family. Sometimes if you, a person in authority needs to maintain this thing in the family that if a person is in the wrong then other people who are in the right should have the freedom to stay where they are and they should have the right not to cooperate with evil in the same family. The Quran says Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu O you who believe La tattakhidu aba'akum wa ikhwanakum awliya' Don't take your O you who believe don't take your fathers or your sons uh, fathers or your brothers as friends, if they prefer disbelief, or if they prefer ungratefulness, ingratitude, over Iman, okay, or to show kufr, disbelief over Iman. If they, if they want to do that, don't be on their side. Move, moving on from there, there's the protection of honor. Um, like for instance, in a governmental position, you would, you would not want any person in authority or any person in the public of defaming one another, insulting. A lot of the causes of family life splitting, okay, is because there's someone defaming or insulting or backbiting or speaking ill of someone or making fun of someone. Whether it's a father with the son, whether it's a mother with the daughter, whether it's an elder brother with a younger brother, these things need to be cut off from the beginning and from the roots. Don't let these things carry on. Where you use, a f- have fun in the family and make a person of the family a victim of your jokes. A victim. Like you say, you always tease them and say, oh, he's always like that. He always does that. He, and you make that person feel small in front of others. This will surely cut the family apart. And it is a cause in some families that families do split up because of this. Another right is the right of private life. Even in an authority and a governmental level, everyone has private lives and everyone has the, has the right to secure certain things in their own privacy. Okay, privacy of wealth, privacy of secrets, privacy of things they want to keep. For instance, in the time of Umar radiallahu anhu, uh, I think it, it was Umar radiallahu anhu himself who once he heard music uh, in the back coming from the back, back of one of the houses and he heard laughter and he was under the impression that someone was 
drinking. Okay, alcohol. So Umar radiallahu anhu then, he, he, he climbed over the wall and then he saw the family. Uh, I think it was him or some other leader, I'm not quite sure about this. Okay? But when, if it was Umar radiallahu anhu, when he came to the family, the person who was in committing the act of crime said, the first thing you have violated is my right of privacy. I am in my own house, I am behind the wall, I am doing something, you have no right to come over my wall. And, second, and then he carried on saying a few other things. So Umar radiallahu anhu then, from there he apologized as an Amir al-Mu'minin to the person and said, you are in the right to have your, you are in your private life and I shouldn't really, I shouldn't really spy on you, I shouldn't really uh, come upon you like this. And this is the right of private life. And the same applies in family life. In family life, a person, a mother and fathers should allow children to have their private lives. Doesn't mean that you never enter their room and never see what's going on. And after five years suddenly you peep into their room and you see that they've turned into punks. It doesn't mean that. At the same time, you don't go into every drawer, every wardrobe, under the bed, under the pillow and everywhere else where they might have something secret, go through all the letters, okay? The same way, I mean if you're doing it because, okay, and this needs to be understood, if a person is, go, is if a person has strong suspicions, okay, over something else, and the only reason they're going to go into the private life of somebody else is to help them come out of it in a very good way. Not taunting, not pointing fingers, not making them feel small, not to make them feel any way uh, embarrassed, okay, from something they're doing. For instance, there's a brother who knows that his another brother is, is doing something which is wrong and he's pro- probably got an a, a illegal relationship with another girl. He knows of it and he wants to help the brother. So therefore he's come across or he knows that there are secret things inside the room. Now he shouldn't go and look search everything, but let's say he comes across something which is private and it's in his hands, or he was lying on the desk. He picks it up and he takes it to his father, someone who is moderate in applying uh, the rights of, uh, of the family onto the children. Okay? And he knows that that father is going to do something good uh, and he's going to take it out in a good way, then he should take that to that person in, with the near and intention of solving the matter well and so that the person will come back onto Islam, onto the Muslim, onto the straight path. But it should not be the case where people spy on one another, or look through the keyhole or something like that, or, or come into the house, there are certain families which I've been myself in, where they will come inside the house not even knocking on the door. Okay, they will secretly open the door, very slowly, walk in, not say salam, not say anything, and then listen to the conversations that are going on. Haram again. Because the Prophet ﷺ has given us um, the certain hadith, one hadith is La ahadukum fi kitabi akhi. None of you should look into the letter of your brother. If it's your brother's letter and it's his, and he hasn't given you permission to look inside, then you should not look inside. And there is even another hadith saying that you'll be punished if you do so, without his permission. There's another hadith where the Prophet ﷺ says, when you come, uh, or there's a Quranic ayah, when you come, Ya la buyutan buyutikum Don't come to one another's houses, and don't enter until you have created some form of familiar feeling, common feeling. 
Istisnas means that, that you're, you're going to say something which the person inside the house will then feel comfortable in you coming inside. وَتُسَلِّمُوا عَلَىٰ أَهْلِهَا And you say, Assalamu alaikum. So by you giving your tone and your voice and your salam, you will then be telling the family inside, it's me, it's your father, it's your brother, it's someone. So therefore, if you're up to something, then just stop it. So therefore, there's some kind of uns or familiar relationship before the person comes inside. Um, another thing is, is a freedom of expression. Just as in a governmental thing, you have every person in, in the, in the uh, public should have the freedom of expression. Even uh, great examples are in the time of Umar radiallahu anhu, where once he stood up on the mimbar and he, he took hold of his sword and then he said to the, to the crowd, inside Masjid Nabawi, during his khutbah on Friday, he said to them, who, will, who is here who is going to straighten me if I go out of line? And a Bedouin who came, who came from far away, who is not a a close Sahabi, he was a distant Sahabi and he was living far away and he did not, he did not have, I mean this was a Bedouin, he was not Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu or Osman radiallahu standing up, he was a Bedouin who stood up in the middle of the khutbah and he said, and he took his sword up and he said, Umar, you've only been given this authority because of the rights that you've, you've got. But if you step out one single bit out of the line that you're on, I will straighten you with this sword. Okay, this is a Bedouin. And what does Umar Allah do? He doesn't say, I'll see you later on and get rid of him or rebuke him. He says, to, he says on the member, he says, Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah alladhi ja'ala fi hadhir ummah. He says, Oh Allah, I praise you for still keeping people in this ummah who are there to put me back in line if I go out of line. This is Umar Allah The same applies in the family. Okay? No person in authority should feel that a young child can't come up to your face and say you've done something wrong. And because of that you get angry. No wife should be under the oppression okay, that she can't ever face you and say, my husband, I'd just like to say to you that what you did today was wrong. And I felt, uh, and you shouldn't just shun her off or, sh- or just shut them, uh, sh- shut their mouths and just say that don't talk to me. This is grossly wrong. And if a family, if this is happening in a family, it will break the family apart. Or it will put the one part of the family, the children and the mother, if it's in the case that the father is doing this, on one side and the father will be on another side. And there needs to be freedom of expression. Allah says in the Holy Quran, لا يحب الله الجهر بالسوء من القول إلا من ظلم. That's the sixth part of the Holy Quran, the beginning. Allah says, Allah does not love. He does not like anyone in raising their voice and talking about evil except if they're being oppressed. One who has been oppressed may talk about the oppression they've gone through or may talk about something evil that has been ta- that has taken place. Okay? And there are many other uh, ayahs where Allah says um, you, you are the best ummah because you call towards good and you prevent from evil. Okay, so it needs to go on. If you've done, if you're in authority, it doesn't mean that you, you're, you're the one who's exempt from all of this. The next one I'll say is that protection from uh, protection of every individual from an arbitrary, arbitrary imprisonment, meaning that. If there's one person who has committed a crime in, in a country, then it does not mean that another person is punished because of that crime. 
Okay? This happens in certain countries. For instance, I know it happens in Bangladesh where in certain cases, if they don't find, if find your brother who has committed a crime, they'll imprison you until they get your brother. Which is in, uh, unjust. It, it's not fair. The same thing uh, sh- just should not happen in a family where one child or somebody, someone in the family has committed a crime, but somebody else is being punished because of this. We've got about just uh, 15 to 20 minutes left. 15 minutes or something, then I'll, uh, I'll end the talk. Um, the next one is that rulers are not above the law. Just as I quoted about Umar radiallahu anhu. And I just want to say to you that for instance, um, Muhammad ibn Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhu, when he was, when, when there was, uh, Umar radiallahu anhu had made Amr ibn al-As the governor of um, Egypt. Then Amr ibn al-As was there and his son obviously was, was the son of the governor in Egypt. And because of, he had false pride that his father was in the office of, in a managerial position and he was the governor of Egypt. And he did something to someone, an Egyptian, which was wrong. And the person who was oppressed, the victim of that, sent a letter to Umar radiallahu anhu. Okay, there are different narrations of this. One narration is that he was the son of Amr ibn As, and one narration is Amr ibn As, where there's a small, um, there's something where Amr ibn Aas had just stepped out slightly in, in ruling the person. He did something which was not fair to that person. So the two different narrations. When the letter came to Umar radiallahu anhu, he wrote back to Amr ibn Aas and he said to him, Mata ahrara. When have you begun to enslave people? when their mothers have given birth to them as free men. When have you now suddenly started to enslave people or make them your slaves by committing this injustice? And then he sent his one, a person from Medina to go and to, to make sure that the son of Amr ibn As, or he was Amr ibn As himself, that the person holds a whip and lashes the governor. And it came to the point when he's just about to lash, when he forgave the, the governor and he said, I'm not going to lash him because all I wanted to see is how just Islam is. And in seeing that the Amirul Mu'mineen, the leader of the believers, has given me the authority as a person in the public to lash the governor or the governor's son, therefore I accept Islam and I'm, I'm now Muslim. There's another case in uh, the time of Ali radiallahu anhu where one non-Muslim, a Jew took him, Ali radiallahu anhu, to the court. He's the Amirul Mu'mineen at that time, he's the leader of all the believers. And the Jews claimed that one shield was his. And Ali Sayyidina Ali said, no, that's my shield. In the end, they ended up in the court. Now this is the, the lead, it's like, for instance, saying that Tony Blair is in the court. Over a small affair of one person saying that, you know, it's his mobile phone and Tony Blair is in my mobile phone. Well, you know, something silly as that. And Ali went to the court. They went to the witnesses. And the Jew had his witnesses, whether they were false or true, whatever he had on his side. The ruling was against the Amirul Mu'mineen, against Ali radiallahu And the judge said, sorry Amirul Mu'mineen, from the evidences that we've got here, it's the Jew's uh, shield, it's not yours. Can you imagine? And that's not questioning the truthfulness of Ali. Everyone would know, okay, Ali radiallahu wouldn't lie. He's a Sahabi, he's an Amirul Mu'mineen, and how can he ever lie? But the rule, the judge said, no, 
it's his. So Ali radiallahu gave it to him. They went outside the court. The Jew turned to Ali radiallahu and he said, here, take your shield. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa Okay, this, that's all he wanted to do, just to see whether he can take the, the person in authority, the leader of the believers, the, the person who's in charge, like the prime minister, so on, to the court, and to see whether he can actually use false evidence and to take him to, uh, to account and to take something off him, wrongfully. And he did it from that moment, and therefore he became a Muslim. The same thing in a, in a family. If there, uh, no one is above the law and, and there needs to be rule, laws applied um, in, the, in the right sense. Um, there's just two more things I want to say and then we'll start on, a, on, on another part. The, the two things I've got to say is the right to avoid sins. There's a general rule of the Prophet Khaliq. There, no, there is no obedience to a creation. When, when the Creator Himself is being disobeyed. It, it's on all levels, whether it's a government level or whether it's in the, in the family. For instance, there is a person, there's a father, and he's telling someone to commit haram. Now he's in charge of the family, and the child is listening to the father, but the, the Prophet has said, La ta'ata lil makhluq. The father is the creation of Allah. So the child does not have to now obey his his father, who is a creation, when Allah Himself, who is the Creator, is being disobeyed. Allah says this is haram. The father is saying this is halal. The child has to choose what Allah says. Okay, that's the general rule. Whether it's a child or wife or anyone else, it applies. And the last thing in this series, uh, where I'm saying of the, in extrapolating from the government to the family life, is the right to participate in the affairs of the state. The Amir of the believers normally will have a shura, a council, and he will consult with people, people with intelligence, people with, with, who know about the state of, uh, of, the, of the, uh, the affairs of the state, people who know these things. The Amir will consult with them and then he will, he, he can even have a member of the public come to him and say, look, I've got this query, can you solve it for me? The same needs to happen in a family, where there needs to be consultation. وَشَاوِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ The Quran says, consult with them. فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ okay? When you are a, a, a strong and you're firm in your intention of what you're going to do, then depend on Allah. The Qur'an, the Qur'an has told the Prophet ﷺ to consult his sahabas. The same goes with the father. A father needs to sit with his children and sit with his wife. And in a lot of families this does not happen, unfortunately. Not. Communication is absolutely necessary in any organization. Whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's anywhere else, if you have communication and everyone understands where they stand, a horrible thing that happens in a lot of places is, even in work or in a family is, the father says something, the husband says something, an order, a command, or the boss gives a command. The command then comes to the co-workers, the people in need, or the command comes to the children. But they don't understand why they have to do this thing. And they carry on doing it. This will eventually break up relationships. They need to know where they stand. And they need to sit with the person in charge and to bring out things. They need to say that, okay, you know, uh, why can't we have this? They need to put the question first. Don't just put them aside. They need to question, why can't we do this? Why can't the family run like this? And then the person needs to justify according to logical reasons. 
to say that this is the reason why we can't do this and the final say must be with the Amir this is another thing that needs to be understood that once you have a father in the family and he's in charge of the family even if the whole family is on one side this is, this is where Islam is different from democracy democracy is you could have a vote okay, 49 vote this way, 51 vote that way it will go according to the 51 okay, that's democracy Islam doesn't run like that and we need to understand Islam doesn't. If the Amir feels that from his insight, from his basira, from his long, the, the, the uh, future vision which he has, he says that no, it's best for the whole family that we do this, everyone needs to follow what the Amir will say. After all their consultation, after him listening to all their queries and answering them and he's against them and he makes a decision, this is how Islam runs. This, is, this has happened several times before. For instance, look at Hudaybiyah. Amir is Muhammad sallallahu All the Sahabas can't understand why the Prophet sallallahu is giving in. Why he's uh, signing the contract uh, of um, next year, you can't perform Umrah this year, you have to come back next year, when you come back next year you will come without swords, any Muslim that, uh, any non-Muslim that leaves from Mecca to Medina, you must return him back to Medina, any Muslim comes from Medina to Mecca, we will not return him back, things like this they couldn't understand. And the Prophet was the Amir, he said, we are going to obey and we are going to put our swords down, listen to this contract because he saw from what Allah showed him that in the long run believers will win. Within one year there's thousands of them coming into Islam because of this. So this is where democracy is different from Islam and in a family as well a person who's in authority who is in authority that person uh, who's in authority has the right okay but it must be on insight it shouldn't be stubbornness it shouldn't be based on something where the person has no insight at all in what he's doing or he can't show a genuine reason for what he is doing and then just to say that I'm going to do it my way. That will break, things, break uh, relationships in, in, the, in the family. Now, moving on straight on to what we've got ahead is I'm just going to give you a brief uh, summary of what's going to come ahead inshallah definitely because now that we've finished the general rules of family life we're going to move straight into firstly we're going to move into uh, finding compatible partners finding compatible partners there are a lot of differences I'm just going to touch the tip of the iceberg today okay? but I'm going to go into detail um, in, the, in, in the next lecture the, just to touch the tip of the iceberg People have been created differently. People have different feelings, different ways, different habits, different natures, different characteristics. Now, there are several ways that marriages can take place. There can be arranged marriages, there can be even love marriages, there's even today internet marriages, okay? There's loads of marriages, there can be perhaps first sight marriages, there can be even forced marriages, okay? We are going to go into detail of each one. But in going through the detail of each one, the crucial thing that I need to point out, and I will say this, is that what you need to look at is the person's nature. Will you, the, the, the ultimate question is, will you or will you not be able to stay and live with that partner of yours? 
from the day you marry that partner up until the day you die, if it happens, if it is 70 or 80 or 60, whatever it is, will you be able to live with that person every day, sleep with that person, eat with that person, share your private life with that person? And it's not, and when you talk about these things, it has to be things of the inside. A, a big mistake a lot of people make is to look on the outside of the person, judge a person from the outside, judge a person from the family, judge a person from few things that they see and not to go into the depths of the inside of that person. It will be absolutely detrimental to a family and it will be detrimental first for the, for the husband or the groom and the bridegroom to get together and then for the children to live with that family where the parents don't get on together or where the man doesn't get on with the, with, with the wife. It will be absolutely detrimental to the family and to the future of the family if that is not looked after. That's the beginning of what a person needs to see. Now I will be going into inshallah about the nature of women, the different nature of man. Okay, there are several differences how we've been created differently. Because Allah says in the Holy Quran, rights are equal, in equal rights we've got, but in nature, laysa dhakarukal unsa, man is not the same as woman. There's a difference. In your nature, you're different. In who you are as a man, the things Allah has endowed you with, the things Allah has endowed a woman with, you're different. Okay? But when it comes to rights, okay, Allah will give you all these rights, Allah will give you all these rights. They're not absolutely the same rights, but in certain parts Allah might give just a little more to a woman, certain times Allah might give just a little more to men. All these rights of a man, rights of a woman, roles of a man and a woman in their lives. Okay? How, to look into, how to find out a person's inner character from by just um, talking about the things that you need to ask a person before you get married. Because Islam says, okay, this is the sunnah of the Prophet that you need to find out about the person before you get married to them. And there is a good way of this. There is a mahram, a blood uh, relative, a person who is closely related to the family, like a father or a brother of the girl, should be present there while you are conversing or having conversations. That should be there. And as long as that is, you can have ten sittings. You can have 20 sittings. We don't believe in dating, where they go out and have a, they're, in, they're in their own private life and no one knows what's going on. At the same time, we don't have this thing called, you know, one time arrangement, like the fathers get together, father's his father, mother's his mother, you know, you've got a son, I've got a daughter. Your son is 20 years old, my, son is, uh, my daughter is 19 years old. Uh, brilliant. We'll, we'll arrange a marriage. They arrange a marriage, the only thing these two see of each other is their faces. Oh, yeah, she's okay. He's okay. And then the only public conversation they have is probably 10 minutes, 20 minutes at the most, or half an hour. That's it. And then they get into the marriage, and then boom. After that, three days after marriage, a week after marriage, you find out they, they can't get on with each other. They hate each other. The woman, the, the girl says, Look, ah, Dad, I want to get out of this house. I'm packing, I'm packing my bags. And the, and the, and the boys say, No, I want to. And then, No, 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 what will happen to the family, the brotherly, the extended family, all these gifts we've given, all the people who know about this, please stay together. And they try and do all of these things. It becomes a disaster. We will be talking about this in detail, inshallah, in the next talk, hopefully on the 1st of March, 645. Uh, if you want to leave your emails with the brothers, brother Yusuf uh, Sadur, just outside, he should be there. You may leave your emails if you want to have a reminder or anything or for any future uh, titles. Jazakum Allah, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen.